Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists, and access more great content. Welcome, Associates. Another episode here on the Body Track Academy. Today, we're going to be talking tendons, specifically Achilles tendon, with the Musk Master Gage. That's a very gracious title. <laughs> uh, it just came to me. I'm liking it. I might call you the Musk Master. What do you think? I'll pass. Okay. <laughs> Fair call. All right. So today we are talking about what is tendinopathies. Uh, Achilles tendon is a common one that we find a tendinopathy in, with. And we'll delve into a little bit more of practicality about how we've had some situations with Achilles tendinopathies in our practice. Uh, so first, Gage, let's hit it off. What would be your kind of understanding of what a tendinopathy is? If you had to explain it to a client, what would you, what would you go with? Yeah, so usually sort of explain to the client that it arises from probably like an overuse or maybe like a sudden traumatic incident. Um, usually one of the two, I think that we most commonly see overuse. Um, and it's basically saying to the client where the load or what they're doing has exceed, exceeded the tendon's threshold. So it, it yep. can't keep up with the amount of work and that's why it's getting sore and painful. Yep, perfect. Uh, I think... From my perspective as well, couldn't agree more. Um, explaining that to someone in, uh, in layman's terms, just like you did, I think makes it a lot more um, of them buying in, I guess, to your rehabilitation program mm. as well. Um, sorry about the computer updates going on in the background. We'll push through. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's pretty much it, the load capacity reaching threshold. Um, and in those terms, it kind of makes sense in how exercise rehab can, can work there. So... Let's, let's delve into Achilles specifically, um, and we'll get into some practicalities of it. Now, we know Achilles is a big spring-loaded kind of tendon, takes quite a lot of force. Um, yep. Obviously, we, I've, I've seen most Achilles tendinopathies uh, in runners yep. that I've seen. Um, experience for yourself, Achilles tendinopathies? Um, yeah, definitely runners, and also I would say like more of your field sport athletes, so... Mm -hmm. Um, like a lot of your stop, start, netballers, hockey players, things like that, running, yep. change of direction. Yeah. Um, probably most common for myself. Yeah. And um, what kind of questions are they asking you that makes you kind of decide for, well, this could be a tendinopathy? Now, obviously, we can't we can't diagnose it, but um, what are the warning signs that that you'd be uh, that you looking out for from a client when they? Yeah, I think um, for the biggest ones is experiencing like stiffness and soreness, um, like when they wake up, mm -hmm. um, also after like prolonged periods of sitting um, and usually experiencing the pain in the tendon. So it'll be like relatively localized point that they get the pain into. Um, and then from my opinion, like biggest sort of predictor is we want to look at what's their most recent workload. Yep. Is there been any big changes in workload? Has there been any changes maybe in sports that they're playing or styles of training that they're going through? 
Um, and then also having a look at like history of injury and any un other injuries because we know that some poor sort of mechanics or if there's some dysfunction in the way that they're moving, it can place an increased stress on the joint. Yeah. Would you add anything else to that? Uh, not entirely. I think that's, that's pretty much summed it up well, but uh, I just pick out the uh, weekend warrior of a... Of a um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of the, of the client. That's what, that's what goes in my mind where... You know, the Monday to Friday, they're doing minimal and then they'll go out and do a 10, 15K run. Yeah. <laughs> There's just been no progression towards towards that. And I mean, that kind of plays across like, this is separate from tendinopathies, but the way I would see general exercise as well. Like mm. uh, the amount of clients that we probably get that have tried to exercise and gone too hard too early and injured yeah. themselves and then we're dealing with the rehab concepts. It's the same analogy, right? It's yeah. not just a tendinopathy because that can be with... A multitude of injuries it's the load and capacity and all of that so reminds me of me playing trl once a week <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well it also reminds me of my training when i was doing um when i was completely unaware of basically what tendinopathies were this is before uni days and i was running and yeah ended up with really sore calves and i thought oh they must be working well and then couldn't really run so <laughs> that opened my eyes to tendinopathies that's my journey yeah um but yeah i don't i think in terms of other uh, kind of red flags or, or, you know, areas that ring a bell and have how a client presents. I think the stiffness, the pain in the morning is definitely, definitely one because mm. I also get it. And again, I'm looking at the running population here um, for my clients that I've seen specifically is that it doesn't always hurt on the actual exercise yeah. for yep. the, the actual, you know, um, stimulus itself. So that being running in this case, it, it's the after effect. Yeah. And that yeah. recovery is really important. Yeah. So. And I don't, know, I don't know, depending on the history of injury, some people might downplay this and they just might think, oh, yeah, it's just like, that's normal soreness. That's I'm sore. That's it. After. Yeah. Um, so sort of saying, all right, well, you know, are you the next day, are you feeling sore? Are you getting up stiff and sore? Mm. Uh, you're feeling that discomfort in that particular point. Mm. Um, so getting to those specifics. But I think as exercise physiologists, we most likely um, will get the client with the diagnosis. Um, but it's still really important to be aware of those things if we do have a client that maybe is starting to experience pain or maybe has like a complex history of some musculoskeletal Definitely. conditions. Yep. And I think you touched on a good point there because as ex-phys, we tend to see our clients a bit more longer term or on a weekly, maybe even twice, three times a week. Uh, so they, they actually may present with this, yep. you know, before going to a physio and they have that trust in you. So. If you're not really aware of it, then you could be missing the mark somewhat of, of you know, quality care for your client. So, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So let's, we've sort of painted the picture about what a tendinopathy is, how it might be presented from a client's perspective. Um, we've, I guess, also touched on the education that we provided for our client about the, the load, et cetera. Um, how would you then go about going into prescription for it or management of it? How would you start out? Let's fo focus on specifically Achilles in this one. Yep. Um, well, obviously like coming down to your assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, so you we've done subjective assessment. We've found out obviously sort of what their training loads are, when they're sore, et cetera, et cetera. Um, coming into like a little bit more objective assessment. Um, I guess the way I look at it and the way most things look at it is we need to get the person up to the ability to, um, be able to deal with that load. Yep. So um, pending pain levels, we need to calm things down and then we need to work towards building them back up. So 
Depends on the client. Like if you've got a runner or an athlete, they might be able to get through a few more functional assessments than say, you know, like your 50-year-old male that started yep. playing TRL in the middle of the week. <laughs> <laughs> You're not 50 though, Gage. <laughs> Close. Um, so general assessments that I'll look at is some sort of strength measure. So mm-hmm. um, that could be like a single leg calf raise. Um, that could be an isometric hold. Um, if they weren't able to do a single leg calf raise, maybe even like a bent knee calf raise or a yep. seated calf raise for someone who's not at great function. Um, other really important things to look for is also like your muscle mass around the area. Yeah. So yep. comparing between left and right, you know, how big is that calf on the side mm-hmm. that's affected versus the other one? Is there any noticeable discrepancies? Because it's pretty common that you will see some. Yep. Um, and for that, are you actually just simply measuring calf girth? Yeah, as well, you can or? measure. Or, oh, I just go for the eye test sometimes. Yep. Like it's pretty common if you get it's someone noticeable. to do a mm. double leg calf raise and you see sort of what's turning on and what's not turning on. Yep. Um, I think, I don't know, is there any literature to support this? But usually with the eye test, like if you can't really notice a giant difference mm. by looking at it, is there a major difference? Yeah, that's true. Good way to think about it. Yeah. We'll let that one simmer and ponder for the uh, listeners. Because you think <laughs> probably from like a contracted state, it's going to be um, more visual than just like a relaxed state taking a circumference because we know we've got bone and we've got fat mass and yeah, all these other things. Um, yeah. But yeah, from there, sort of seeing what they can tolerate mm-hmm. and seeing how they respond to that load as yep. well. So I think probably my go-tos would be that single leg calf raise. If they got through those, okay, then mm. potentially looking at some plyometric work. Um, but you really just want to see how they pull up after that yeah. first assessment. Because like what we said, it's not always going to be painful while they're doing the exercise. That's it. And the other thing from that, um, I'll add two points to that, is if they are presenting in, in pain, it actually a big deterrent from for some would be like, okay, we won't test that, but it's actually safe to. It's, yeah. Again, it's within within that um, that pain kind of uh, rating and making sure that it's not increasing with pain yep. during exercise, but or during that testing. And you're doing all your parameters of making sure that the client's safe and comfortable to do so. So, but but knowing from where the literature is going is is load is good, and we'll get to that yeah. shortly. Um, but testing in that parameter when they are presenting in pain is actually not unsafe. It's not a contraindication, and that's a key message that I think we want to get uh, get out to you guys. Um, what's but, your what's yeah. your go to sort of prescription if mm. someone is in a high level of pain and they don't have enough? Maybe they can't even tolerate uh, isotonic exercise. Yeah. Um, what would you do? So. Interesting point that you say that. Uh, my is- isoto- uh, I would go into the isometric phase first yep. uh, and try, basically you brought it up with your seated calf raise as well. Very unloaded, very easy controlled one that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, peg it right back basically. Yep. And then start from there, see what is tolerable. Um, even I've done regressions right through to almost like open kinetic chain where they're extended through the, through the knee band around the foot yeah, and just yeah. getting something isometric yeah. around there because their evidence shows that isometrics are still good for tendinopathies, mm-hmm. but there's more evidence now pointing towards that high load training as well, that high, um, uh, high load and strength training 
to uh, to help with the tendon tendinopathy there. So, but in terms of where we're starting, yeah, you just yeah. keep going your aggression. What's back. your like base sort of prescription with an isometric? If you think, okay, mm-hmm. this person can't tolerate an isotonic exercise, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to give them X, Y, Z. What's sort of like for yep. the listeners? What you go to and what have you found most of the research pointed towards? Yeah, I'd go. My go-to is that isometric five to ten second hold, about five times through. That's mm-hmm. what I would I would start with, um, and get them to build up that tolerance of being able to feel that. Because again, it does depend obviously on the, how the client has presented. Are they are they already familiar with exercise and have a good understanding of of, of exercise literacy, health literacy as well? Mm. Um, then you can start to probably progress that a little bit um, if they're if they're safe to do so. But if someone is presenting and they're very unfamiliar and this has come about, like you yeah. said before, the fifty year old male who plays TRL once a week. Um, my go-to would be that isometric, getting them used to feeling calf contraction, feeling uh, load safely going through that tendon. Yeah. Um, and then uh, if that is any still, and I'm doing my pain ratings there as well. So pain at present, uh, what are they rated it out of, out of 10? And then making sure that we're not increasing in that discomfort. And most of the time, because we're getting that nice kind of therapeutic load from doing mm. such an exercise it actually can kind of maintain or pretty much dissipate in some cases i've had so yeah. uh but yeah that's probably where um uh literature i've seen is pointed towards uh, yeah. and the, the the thing around isometrics um but once they're comfortable with that i'm trying to quickly get them into some loaded isometrics or isokinetic movement yeah yeah because that's that's stronger in terms of evidence to show uh, rehabilitation from uh, from a tendinopathy, particularly around the Achilles. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like it, it's sort of think about someone who's running, cutting, jumping, all those things. There's there's a quite a lot of load going through that tendon, and if you're not training that way, then yeah, exactly. It's there's a bit that more difference. Unpredictable yeah. load. It's exactly right. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting about those isometrics. I did a little bit of dabbling into the research. Please. Um, and what it came out with was for the isometrics actually doing up to a 45-second hold. Yeah. Which is a long time. Yeah. Did they do it under load as well? Um, so um, it was 70% MVC, yep. so max voluntary yep. contraction, um, 45 seconds, three sets. I have a feeling I know which one you've listened to, Gage. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yep. But I think, yeah, for someone who hasn't done much before, building up to that. Yeah, so exactly. So, like Dan yeah. said, educated client, all right, let's start with 10 seconds. Let's mm. see how you go working at a 7 out of 10 mm. intensity or your maximum. Yep. Um, and then pain tolerance. But yeah, so it was quite mm. interesting because it's quite a long time. Mm. Um, I'm yeah. not sure how many people would stand there in a calf race for 45 <laughs> seconds and not be bored. <laughs> that's that's true. It is it is fairly boring. But um, that evidence has come out from Jill Cook, who's really uh, quite renowned in the um, tendinopathy world. And mm-hmm. there's a, uh, we'll put it in the footnotes, but there's Cook and Purdom who have got a, quite a lot of research in this area. And yes, that was one that I, I had listened to, um, and that would be my progression, I guess, towards yeah. that. Um, and that's, I guess, what I mean with that high load training, high load strength training, is building up to that isometric. Um, but there is still evidence to show with that um, uh, isokinetic mm. in high load as well um, has its has its benefits as well. Once they're safe to progress to that, mm. yeah. So um, initially, yep, going pretty 
easy with that five to ten second, but I think that's the key thing is building up to that um, seventy percent MVC with uh, forty five second holds. Yep. Is is yeah where you want to try and get to, um, and once that happens and you're getting they're getting good response from that, that's where I feel it can unlock those things of okay, let's do more high load strength training through an isokinetic movement or that jumping and cutting or whatever drills they need to do to improve their performance and management of that tendon. So yep. that's yeah. how I would sort of go with the pathway towards uh, that rehab for, for yep. tendon load. Um, Should have done that for myself when I was running. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you find is like the biggest gap when it comes to treating Achilles tendinopathies? Where do you find that most sort of people struggle where they hit that wall and they're not progressing? Yeah, I, I think it's more on, I reckon it's more on the recovery thing. Again, my thing is a majority of mine has been with runners. Mm -hmm. So we all know the runner that uh, just thinks running more is better. Yeah. And so that's probably my issue is, is with my clients. I see that they're not uh, giving themselves enough recovery time. Um, they still might be doing the exercises that I've prescribed and we still might be getting to those progressions as we've noted, but they are going for longer runs yeah. and they're not yeah. allowing that little time of th that initial phase of uh, time off or reducing the intensity so that the tendon can kind of catch up to the load. Yep. And then because they didn't, that, that time period where it could have been very a short period of time where they back off the run has now, because they didn't allow that, has now extended out to a longer period of time because yeah. the um, sort of that tendon disrepair is, is what it can get into. Yep. Um, and so that's probably my biggest barrier and then the pain that they present with the next day. So heaps of education around uh, the exercises that we're, we're giving um, are trying to, like I said before, catch the tendon um, capacity up to the load that it can, it can tolerate. Um, but if they're still getting pain in the morning, that's I probably get presented with that a bit. But then again, that's because that running is still yeah. being a part of it. So yeah, yeah. managing recovery, yeah. exercise prescription, yeah. load. Yeah. yeah, that's probably my biggest issue that I find. Yeah, yeah. I think agree with yourself. Like low med load management, and probably if it's that client who sort of thinks, oh, I need to keep doing something. I need to keep doing something. Yeah. Give them something else to do. Yeah, get them go for a swim. Get mm. on the bike. Do something a little mm. bit unloaded yep. so they're still yep. getting that sort of you know release and mm. satisfaction with the amount of work that they're doing that's it and i think that's a really important part too because i've got a I'm thinking of a couple of clients now that i've had this situation with where the running is more than just the physical output is the mental aspect of it and as that if you can identify why what it is about running that causes yeah. them to have a nice mental output from maybe a high stress job what else can it be? Can it be cycling? Can it be swimming? Can it be just walking? Like yeah. something that's lower intensity, but still achieves that, that success of um, a mental break or improvement in their mental health. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And so. I think um, like on that as well, probably the load, like I think people probably underload a little bit too much, especially mm. if you've got like a lot of runners, they're probably at a high strength level through mm -hmm. their calves anyway. So when we sort of talk about prescription, your calf raises heavy load, give them something to hold on to, like give them a heavy weight to hold on to, make yep. sure they're working properly. Yeah, your 10 um, kilo dumbbell on the side doesn't really yeah, do it. you got to yeah, really, yeah, yeah unfortunately, right. like might for our 50-year-old touch player, yep. no gauge, um, <laughs> work, but doing, yeah, more is really important and keep progressing mm. through there. Yep, indeed. Um, 
any other setbacks that you've had in terms of like maybe not in that runner specific population, maybe more in in terms of uh, you know, the ebbs and flows of pain that I guess a, a non-runner who's, a, who's suffering from Achilles tendinopathy is presented with for you? Yeah, I think just sort of that quick return, um, mm-hmm. like what we spoke about, that fulfillment, um, eagerness to get back as well. Sometimes, you know, if they feel good for a couple of weeks, they might sort of poke back into an activity and then just over overload it, overcook it yep. too much too soon and mm. can sometimes get in a little bit of that cycle. Yep. Um, obviously, you want to be positive, you want to get your client as back as soon as possible, but mm. if you're starting to get those setbacks, then you need to sort of look and say, all right, well, now we need probably a solid period where we're not poking into that. We're giving um, the body time to heal, time to adapt to the strength changes that we're making. Definitely. Um, but continuing their strength training while yep. they return. It's not like, all right, you're back to action now. You can drop everything. Yeah. Like you yep. need to keep going with mm. your heavy strength work, um, which is really important when you are playing or running. Yep. Indeed. Have you had anyone that's resistant to that kind of education that you've provided? Where, because it, it's it's pretty well known stuff. Yeah. And it, it's it's simplistic, but it's effective. Yeah. But has someone been like, a, you know, resistant to that or listened to you but gone ahead and done the opposite? Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think we all get those clients. It's really hard, and unfortunately, they just learn the lesson the hard way. Mm. Um. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think that with a lot of areas and clients as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess for those who are in, in their early practice of doing it too, that the important thing from that, because you know, Gage has got a lot of experience in this, and myself as included, is you can provide them with as much support, education, uh, the right prescription going forward. Um, but you can't put it on yourself if there's not that progress that. Yeah, they would expect, and that, you know, it's it's coming around those expectations. I guess um, if they're going to go out and do sort of the boom bust cycle in a way, yeah. which we won't yeah. go into too much, but um, as long as you're educating and you're making sure that they're aware of that situation, that's that's your job, really. Um, yeah. Because yeah, they will have situations where there's um, uh, reduction or in pain, but then there's also flare-ups from going too hard too early or something like yeah. that. Yep. I got a good question for you, Dan. Please. When would you introduce um, plyometric exercises into your Achilles Wonderful. program? It's like you're reading my mind is my next thing to go. Where's your next step forward? <laughs> um, okay. So I would introduce plyometrics in after probably going back to where that that load was going to, uh, in terms of an isometric. So once they can achieve that uh, 70% MVC and they're getting that... Um, isometric load? Yep. Okay. Going right through to then, and then the um, introduction of plyometrics uh, would come from there in terms of a higher load plyometric. So you can still start with plyometric exercises that are in a safe and controlled environment before then, where it's minimal impact on the tendon. And then my kind of precursor would be that they can tolerate a higher load to then produce that, that power from there would you use any strength measures outside of isometric um before you went on to any plyometric work still think the calf raise one is good yeah the single leg calf raise and there's how many a, are you looking for there's a 25 plus yeah is more the the uh guideline there so if they're able to achieve that 25 plus um i still go by the fact that i want them to be 
as close as possible to achieving that isometric hold mm -hmm. before I then embark on giving them some really um, quite progressive jumping, landing kind of exercises. So there's still ones that I do before then in terms of a plyometric where it might be landing drills, yep. but it's not a heap of load on the tendon, it might be from a lower height. Yep. So that would be introduced when they're starting to reduce in their symptoms of, of pain and, and discomfort or they're starting to report that there's strength improvements. Um, but I'm talking more, I guess, in the plyometric where we're doing some big bounding and we're doing quite um, uh, low, even loaded plyometric work yep. is probably, yep. that's my cutoffs is where it's, uh, the 25 plus calf raises, a single leg, good form too. Yeah. Um, that, that high load of isometric with the hold as well. Uh, yeah. and then I'm starting to go into the, the ball, the plyometric stuff there. Okay. I think from my perspective, I may be probably a little bit more conservative and I'd probably like to see a client do like a solid bout of some strength mm -hmm. exercises before they started into some plyometric work. Yep. Um, but I think biggest determining factor for me there would be like if they are still doing an activity yep. if they're still running because my thought process would be like all right well they're still running they've dropped their load running is a plyometric activity in mm. itself so maybe that's potentially enough do we not want to sort of jump too quick too soon mm -hmm. um but i think with you know so much research and new evidence and treatment has changed so much for tendinopathies like mm. is a little bit of trial and error Mm. With that, a bad thing. Yeah. So maybe you make a good plyometrics. You make a good point. Um, and again, I want to preface this with the fact that a lot of this population for me has been runners, mm -hmm. and that's why I probably am a little bit more on the aggressive side with going to plyometrics because they are still running. Yeah. So I go in my thought process going, well, I've tried to, you know, cut them back a little bit yeah, in terms yeah. of the intensity, but that is a plyometric activity. In my mind, that's saying to me that they um, that they have to be strong mm -hmm. and also powerful to be able to do that run well. Yeah. So I look at it that way and go, okay, yeah. well, let's try and get some early intervention of plyometrics again, as long as it's safe and in the right environment for them in terms of the the barriers that I mentioned before. And then once they're showing some signs of of strength, mm -hmm. being that isometric in the twenty five calf raise. That's where I'm going. I feel like we can um, progress this again. Yep. Yeah. So cool. that's that's sort of how I probably think of it more so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's interesting. I think if I was to push that earlier, then a lot would probably depend on recovery. Yeah. Um, and how the client's feeling and pain levels and things mm -hmm. like that as well. Indeed. Because sometimes we know that like when Achilles tendinopathies get to a certain point, they're not really going to heal. It's not like the fibers miraculously no. go back into alignment. So it's sort of mm -hmm. something pending stage or level that they're in, they're going to have to deal with for a very long time. Yeah. Again, yeah, that's right. And it's not like it's a, yeah, you, you're looking a month ahead and everything's great and I'm on, you know, this phase. Yeah. It is a bit more of a long, longer slog at this one, for yeah. sure. Um, we might finish up there. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I hope that helped you guys out a little bit with tendinopathies. And, you know, again, you just saw different perspectives about how we can manage it. Um, but they all kind of come to the main outcome of obviously rehabilitation for that tendon and getting that person back to the activity at a safe level. Um, listen in for some more discussions around tendinopathies uh, elsewhere in the body, but also other theories and, um, and research that's been coming out recently on it. Thank you very much, Gage. Thank you, Dan. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.